0: Well, amen, amen. Luke chapter 14, if you have your Bibles, Luke 14. We finish our series today, Encounters with Jesus, Discipling the Modern Self, and we will finish in Luke chapter 14. Now next week we'll do a stand-alone message for Mother's Day, and then two weeks from today we start our summer series in the book of James. So again, if you haven't already, I encourage you to read through that book, begin praying over it. But Luke 14 today... Over these past several weeks, we've looked at discipleship. Discipleship simply means to follow someone as your master, as your teacher. So follow their teachings, follow their way of life, obey them. Thus, Christian discipleship is us following Jesus as our master, as our Lord, following his teachings and his way of life, being conformed to the image of Jesus in everything. But what we have specifically looked at is what prevents us in our current culture, what prevents us from Christian discipleship? What's preventing the modern self? What's preventing your friends, your co-workers, your neighbors, this culture from Christian discipleship, from having communion with Jesus, fellowship with him, abiding in him, living in him, walking in him, obeying him? What's hindering us from Christian discipleship? Well, we've looked at several ideas over these past few weeks. The first one was this prison of yes versus the freedom of no. Right In our culture, we we're told you can say yes to everything. You can have your cake and eat it too, no matter what it is we're talking about. Right, And we saw that with this comes a level of imprisonment. And we looked at the freedom of no and choosing Jesus over all things. And then that next week we looked at the pressure to live up to the high production and high performance lifestyle. You must produce perfection and you must perform at perfection levels. And we saw that pressure to live up to that. And then last week we saw the dangers of the entrepreneur of the self. And we looked at Acts 8 and Simon the sorcerer who basically was going to use the Holy Spirit and the power that comes with the Holy Spirit in order to build his own platform and to sell himself in essence. And so we saw the dangers that come with that. Well, for for this last message in the series, I want to look at this last idea. It's another phrase coined by Mark Sayers, pastor, cultural commentator. It's this idea of could versus should. Another key idea that is preventing the modern self from fully following Jesus. Could versus should. Now think of it like this. Your friend invites you to a buffet. We've all been to a buffet. We, we know the, the setup. We know the layouts, right? And so your friend invites you to this buffet. You pay the establishment as you arrive, and then after that you have full access to the entire buffet before you, right? Which feels like a limitless amount of options, right? All sorts of different genres, of food, from hot foods to cold foods. You got steak and proteins and meats. You got sides. You got vegetables and fruits. You got salads. You got all these different options. And oh my goodness, you also have the dessert bar. You got your ice cream and its toppings. You got the cakes and the pies and the pudding. and the. I always do this right before dinner. I don't know why I do this. Before lunch, these Illustrations, but you have all these options before you, and you have access to all of it. You then notice your friend goes straight to the dessert bar, bypassing all the meats and the protein and the sides and everything. He goes straight to the dessert bar and just begins to fill up the plate and the bowls. And you're sitting there thinking to yourself, hey, what are you doing? Aren't you going to eat first? implying, hey, yes, this is food, but this is more like after-dinner treat kind of stuff, right? Aren't you going to eat first? And then imagine your friend then says, no, 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 no. I'm here just for the desserts and it alone. And so I'm just going to stack this up more. So come on, why don't you join me? Now here you are in this moment, faced with a decision. And before you decide you have the right to anything and everything on the buffet, it's all yours, you also have the right to say yes to your friend, to follow your friend, to continue in your friend's steps and eat only dessert and eat more dessert. You could even eat, continue eating dessert only for the rest of your days. You could do that. You could bypass all that and choose just the desserts. It's in your line of options. The question is, is should you? You could do that, but should you? And in a way, this here is the conundrum, the problem, the temptation the modern self faces every single day. And this conundrum, this problem, this temptation is birthed out of the foundation of limitless options that we looked at in the first week. That says you can have everything and anything. It's all yours. The buffet is all yours. You have access to all of it. Thus, the modern self, you and I, we stand before a buffet of limitless options every day, and what's driving our decision process is not what should we do, but what could we do. And this subtle shift in perspective within this decision process has greatly impacted whether or not people will decide to fully and wholly follow Jesus as their master and Lord for the rest of their days. And technology has taken this opportunistic situation for itself as though it had like a little ember, a little spark, and it's turned it into a forest fire for us, the modern self. Thus, because of instant streaming platforms... Because of things like Amazon, because of advancements in transportation, because of the likes of Airbnb, because of brilliant advancements in medicine and treatment and surgical capabilities, because of the billionaire celebrities, because of the royals, because of platforms like sports and entertainment, because of et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, we now tell ourselves internally, and the world tells us, you know, I could buy anything. I could do anything. I could go anywhere. I could say anything. I could be anyone. I could change anything. I could eat whatever it is I want to eat. And that five-letter word, could, is driving the decision-making for the modern self. What could I do instead of dot, dot, dot? What could I buy instead of dot, dot, dot? Where could I go instead of dot, dot, dot? Who could I be instead of dot, dot, dot? And hardly do we even fuss about the word should. Because in our decision process, because before the buffet, we're told by our friend, we're told by the world, don't fuss about should. No, I should eat my meats and protein and vegetables first. No, no, no. Don't worry about the should. Only concern yourself with the could. So come on. Eat only dessert with me all the rest of your days because it's so good and right. And what inevitably comes from this subtle shift of perspective in this decision-making process every day is a really, really upset stomach and a terribly unhealthy life. For another example, in the parenting world, if I told my kids, Noah, Caroline, and Hannah, if I told them you could buy anything, you could do anything, you could go anywhere, you could say anything, you could be anyone, you could change anything, you could eat anything, the buffet is yours in everything and in all things, and it's wholly and completely up to you. No one else Let no one prevent you from living your truth. Let no one destroy your parade, most certainly not me. Come on, it's wholly and completely up to you. If you want dessert only and for always, it's up to you. So what do you want? What do you want? I submit myself to you, your little modern self, and all your fickle emotions and wishes and imaginations, all your fickle whims and inclinations. What do you want? If this was my approach in parenting, do you want to know what the end results would be? It's what we might call in the parenting world a version of disaster. An unmitigated, utter, complete disaster. If you don't believe me, try it. In the parenting world, good, wise parents acknowledge and show their kids what they could buy. What they could do, where they could go, what they could say, who they could be, what they could change. And those options are seemingly limitless because we live in a very unique, blessed time. But then those good, wise parents direct their children among all the limitless possibilities. They direct their children in what they should buy, what they should do. Where they should go, what they should say, who they should be, what they should change. Because a good, wise parent knows something a child doesn't know. That there's a way that seems right in the beginning, but its end is disaster. The dessert bar, first and only, every time, all the time, to a child seems really, really good and right. But its end, a good, wise parent knows, is a really, really upset stomach and a terribly unhealthy life. Stephanie and I, we used to take the kids to the gathering place in Tulsa. Some of you have been to this. If you haven't, you've got kids, grandkids, I encourage you to take them to it. It's right there on the river. It's an incredible location. All these different parks in this one gathering place. It's beautiful. It's awesome. Well, within the gathering place, there is one park that's really just has slides in it. And you can see it here on the screen. And the two slides there in the background, um, they they are on this rock mountain. And so you literally walk up this rock mountain. You almost like climb it. Very steep, narrow steps. Platforms of rock are just following you all the way up. And at the top, looking down over the slides and the rock, we could tell our children what they could do. You could run down the rocks, what we just hiked up. You could skip down them. You could stumble and fall all the way down them. You could do barrel rolls all the way down them. You could slide down them. Your options are limitless, really. But if you don't want this to end in disaster, when it's all said and done, then what you should do is get in the slide, bottom down, feet first, and let the slide guide you down through the rocks, delivering you safely to the bottom. You could make life all about your job. You could make life all about your family, your kids, your grandkids, your spouse, your parents. You could make life all about living the American dream, whatever that is. You could make life all about money. You could make life all about sports, politics, entertainment. You could make life all about yourself. But should you? When it comes to Christian discipleship, the answer is a resounding no. What you should do, if you don't want this to end in disaster, is follow Jesus as your master, as your Lord. As Paul would say, we must become his doulos, his slave. We must... Follow Him as Lord of our lives. Follow His teachings and obey Him and conform our lives no longer to this world or to the self, but to Him in all things and in everything. What we should do is quit letting the word could dictate all our decisions before limitless options and let the word should guide us among limitless options. So Luke chapter 14. This is what we read. Verse 25. Now, great crowds accompanied Jesus. A lot of people, a lot of popularity at this time, massive platform. Great crowds accompanied Jesus, and Jesus turned and said to them, If anyone, if any of you comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, that person cannot be my follower, my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Verse 28, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it, Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, well, this man began to build. He was not able to finish. Verse 31, or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other king is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and he asks for terms of peace. So therefore, verse 33, any one of you who does not renounce, give up ownership to all that he has cannot be my disciple. So Jesus just plainly put out there for an incredible amount of people how we can and how we cannot be his follower. And there are two approaches to this text, to these parables, the building of the tower, the king, two approaches to this text to what Jesus is ultimately saying. The first approach is the most widely thought of, and it goes something like this. Number one, count the cost of following Jesus. Count the cost of following Jesus. Before you follow him, what's it going to cost you? And what you discover is that that cost is going to be extremely difficult, severe. There's going to be uncertainty. There's going to be persecution. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 all who want to live a godly life in Christ, guess what? You will be persecuted. That persecution is going to look different on all different levels, but all will be persecuted who seek to follow Jesus. Not only that, but following Jesus requires a major priority shift in your life. He becomes first, before and above anyone and everyone in our lives. Now, he uses really strong language here to make a clear point. It's not that Jesus wants us literally to hate those closest to us. As we see in Matthew's account, in Matthew chapter 10, in the same teaching, he simply means you must love me more than that person. You must love me more than your spouse, more than your parents, more than your children, more than your grandkids. You must love me more. That's the cost of discipleship. And Jesus' point here is also made elsewhere when he says, listen, no one can serve two masters. You can't. Because either you will hate the one and love the other Or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. In other words, it's either me, Jesus is saying, or not at all. It's either love me more than anything and everything else in your life, be devoted to me, or you cannot follow me. As one person said, to all who want to have it both ways, being the Lord's disciple and maintain control of their own lives, Jesus is insisting here, you have to get off the fence to follow me. You must not allow even family relationships to trump loyalty to me. The person goes on to say, to be a follower, we must always make our commitment to Jesus a priority over all other relationships as well as over our material Possessions. And again, with this decision, you will face hardship. Bearing your own cross means living a life at a severe cost. Suffering, trials, loneliness, hatred, temptations. As another said, not all suffering is the same, but all will suffer. It's a guarantee. So before you decide to follow Jesus, what do you do? You count the cost. In the same way, before we run a marathon, what do we do? We count the cost. How much time is needed for training? What what, what kind of shoes do I need? What kind of gear do I need? What's the cost going to be? Before you build a building, what do you do? You count the cost. Material, labor, time, resources. Before you go to war, what do you do? You should count the cost. Lives, money, resources. Before you buy a car, before you buy a house, before you buy a pair of jeans, before you buy a number three, what do you do? You count the cost. How much is it? Before you have children. Before you go on vacation. Before you get married. Before you retire. What do you do? You count the cost. In the same way, count the cost of following Jesus. But there's another approach, most likely what Jesus is really getting at with the crowd is consider your ways. Consider your relationships. Consider your situation, your resources. Consider your time, your gifts, your situation. Consider your current life. And then consider the trajectory of it all. Where is this going? Where is your life leading to? Where is it all heading? What's the end game? And then count the cost of not following Jesus. Count the cost of following Jesus, but you better count the cost of not following Jesus. See, we internally can tell ourselves... We can run a marathon without Jesus. We can build a building without Jesus. We can go to war without Jesus. We can buy a car, a house, a pair of jeans, or a number three without Jesus. We can have children, go on vacation, get married, retired without Jesus. We can live our entire lives without Jesus. But here's the thing. The modern self is just like the self in Jesus' day. Turns out the modern self isn't modern at all. It's as old as time. And what Jesus is trying to get the crowds to ask themselves is not what could you do, but what should you do? And he's saying what you should do is count the cost of living a life without me. Count the cost of not following me. Count the cost of not being my disciple. And if you don't want this to end in disaster and unfinished building a defeated army, then what you should do is put me first before anything and everyone in your life, including your family, including your job, your time, your resources, your very self. Jesus' point is, consider your ways, your life, and consider the moment that's coming, the king that is coming. Consider where this is all heading and count the cost of not following him. See, what he wants us to recognize, what he wanted the crowds to recognize, is that without Jesus, we can't do it. Without Jesus, we're nothing. We have nothing. We can do nothing. We're created by him and for him. Apart from him, we can do nothing, he says. It's all about Jesus. We don't have the resources, we don't have the power. We don't have the position, the stamina, the education, the skills, the gifts, the platform. We don't have the image. We don't have the AI and the money and the relationships to survive what's coming. We don't have what it takes. And if we think we do without Jesus, without fully and wholly surrendering to him, then disaster awaits. We will find to the end ourselves unable to finish the building. Man, it started off so good. The foundation was going so well. We'll prove ourselves a fool like the foolish builder who built his house on sand. It seemed right at the beginning, but its end was destruction. We will find ourselves unable to withstand the king and his army who is coming. We'll prove ourselves only to be at war with the true, real, eternal, everlasting king, and our destruction will be complete. As one commentator said about the parable about the king, he said the parable about the coming king served to teach the importance and the urgency of unconditional surrender to the invading king as the only means of deliverance. So count the cost of following Jesus, but we'd better count the cost of not following Jesus. Think of it like this, Blaise Pascal Was a uh, French philosopher, mathematician, scientist, inventor. You, You probably heard his name in math classes in school. In mathematics, he was an early pioneer in the fields of game theory and probability theory. He also had his hand in the first calculator or adding machine to be produced in any quantity and actually used by people. He was also a follower of Jesus, a theologian, a defender of Christianity. And combining his work in probability theory and his work in theology, Pascal put forth a wager when it came to the existence of God. And he put this wager up to any atheist, those who don't believe there is a God. And now this wager is known as Pascal's wager. And with this wager, I want to put my own twist on it and apply it to this passage, specifically this second approach. Because let's suppose you're sitting there, some of you, internally thinking to yourself, you know, following Jesus really gains me nothing. It profits me nothing. Thus, I will not follow. And then you're internally arguing, nor should you or anybody else. And that's what the world argues. Now let's suppose you're right. Following Jesus now and in the end ultimately gains you nothing, profits you nothing. Let's suppose you're right. And if that's true, if you're right, will you gain nothing. Your life will just continue on as is. You'll die like everyone else in the end. Life will just continue as is. History will keep going forward. But if you're right, I also lose Nothing. Yes, I may not gain anything, but I lose nothing. My life will continue as is. And I'll die like everyone else in the end. And actually, according to research, I might be happier and healthier along the way, relationally, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, etc. But let's suppose Jesus is right. Let's put this wager out there. Let's suppose Jesus is right. And following Jesus now and, and in the end... Even though it might mean a life of suffering, a life of isolation, persecution. But let's suppose that following Jesus now and in the end means everything. It's more important than anything and anyone in your life or this world. If I'm right, if Jesus is right, then you lose everything of infinite proportions. Everything. Everything. And I gain everything of infinite proportions. So the wager is simple. Why wouldn't you follow him? You lose nothing, you gain everything. And by the way, this isn't Pascal's wager, it's Jesus' wager. He just says it a little differently. He said to everyone, if anyone would come after me, let him deny self, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Here's the wager. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will actually save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses himself or forfeits himself? So don't follow Jesus. You gain nothing and you lose everything. Those who follow him lose nothing, they gain everything. So count the cost of following Jesus, but you better also count the cost of not following Jesus. You better count the cost of putting your kids first, your grandkids first. You better count the cost of putting your job first. You better count the cost of putting your investments first your time first your very self first because jesus says if you go that route you could do that you just can't be my disciple let me finish by saying this the other day i was driving on 81 van buren going north over the bridge And I was coming down the bridge, and I noticed a guy on the service road about to pull out onto 81, and he turns onto 81 going north, but he didn't cross to go north. He just literally turned immediately going north. In other words, he turned going the wrong direction, and that was his choice. He could do that. That was his option, and he could have kept going, but thankfully, like three car lengths later, he recognized his error. He recognized that he was going in the wrong direction, and thankfully, before other cars were coming, and he turned around and got on the right side of the road, and I got to thinking about that this week in this way. You and I, we we can go down the wrong road. That's our decision. Among your line of options, and there are a lot of them. And in a way, we've all gone down the wrong road, and we could keep going down the wrong road, but what we should do, if we don't want this to end in disaster, turn around, get on the right side of the road, and follow it. What we should do among our limitless options is follow Jesus, wholly and completely surrender. Follow Jesus as Master and Lord. Follow His teachings, His way of life, being conformed to the image of Jesus and everything, having communion with Him, fellowship with Him, abiding in Him, living in Him, walking in Him, obeying Him. We must renounce everything. Give up ownership. Ownership. As one person said, we must continually have the attitude of abandonment. It's all his. These kids are his. These grandkids are his. This job is his. These investments are his. These resources are his. This time is his. This very life is his. We must stop asking ourselves what the world keeps asking, what the modern self keeps asking. Man, what can I do? What we should ask is what should we do? Not for ourselves, but for Jesus. And in that lies the key to Christian discipleship. And thus, in that lies the key to eternal life. Count the cost of following Jesus, but you better count the cost of not following him. I'll finish with a remark from Tony Evans. He said God's goal is not merely your salvation but your discipleship. Remember, he calls us from something to something. He doesn't want us to just show up for church on Sunday. He wants us to be a visible, verbal follower of Jesus every day of the week. A life in complete surrender to him. So with heads bowed, eyes closed, I'm going to invite the team forward. And for some of us, God's wrestling on our hearts and minds. For some of us, we've been putting family first, job first, money first, time first. And what's driving our decision process is, man, what could we do? But Jesus is telling us very plainly what we should do is put him first. So some of us are going down the wrong road and we need to turn. What do you need to turn from? Others of us, he's, he's resting on our hearts and minds to, for salvation. For some of us, it's renewal. For some of us, it's baptism. For some of us, it's just joining the fellowship here at First Baptist and getting more plugged in and serving, whatever it is in just a moment I'm going to pray. We're going to have a time of invitation. Myself is going to be down here. Perry's going to be down here. If you need to talk to one of us, pray with us, make a decision. We're going to be down here during this time as we sing. But even as I pray, you come. Father, we thank you. We love you. Lord, we live in a world and a time in history where there is a buffet of limitless options, so many voices pulling us left and right. Internally, we tell ourselves, man, I can do this, I can do that, I can whatever. But Lord, very clearly, you draw a line in the sand and you tell us what we should do and that is surrender complete lordship to Jesus, the master, the king, the royal one, the great one, Lord, I pray internally in our hearts and minds, every single one of us, internally and externally, that we would surrender Lordship to Jesus. Bring repentance, bring renewal, bring correction, bring salvation, bring fully devoted followers of Jesus among a world of limitless options. In all things and in everything, may we choose Jesus. In Christ's name that I pray. I ask that you to stand with us now as we sing. You come forward. We'll be down here. You come forward during this time.